This is the Our York Media Podcast, an audio and video production that features the good news makers of York County, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Rebecca Hanlon. Today, we've got Philip Given. Hi. It's very excited, right? I'm super excited. Yes. So, um, I... <laughs> I had like a little intro for you, but I didn't really feel like it encompassed <laughs> all of all of how, who, you, sure. who you are. So it was like you're the, the guy who's photographed everything in York. Yeah, that's true. Right? Accurate. Sure. Um, w- one of the uh, biggest event planners, if you look at kind of like bodies. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pretzel entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you work with uh, Mayor Helfrich's office. Correct. Um None of that really makes sense altogether. Yeah, sure. But that is Philip Given. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) At least at this point, that is Philip Given. Right. Well, and that's part of what I hope we uncover is what is Philip Given going to be next? So. Okay. Cliffhanger. Um, So tell us, give us like an intro to who you are, where you're from. Yeah. So I'm a city resident, which is the most important thing for me. Um, I am currently the acting director of economic and community development and chief of staff uh, for the city of York. I am a partner in New York City Pretzel Company, and I don't actively plan any events, so that's good. I got that off the table, but okay. I still volunteer and okay. assist with some marketing efforts, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, but really, just a guy that lives in the city trying to make the city a better place. Kids are in the city, go to school in the city. Uh, so everything I do, whether it's been photography, pretzel work, um, stuff that we do with the city, volunteer work, activism, event planning, it's all really for the same goal. Okay. Um, you're from York? Sort of. County? Not really. Okay. I graduated right. high school. Tell us. Yeah. So I was actually born in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, okay. Um, my family is originally from the Pittsburgh area um, by way of Columbus, Ohio, which is another strange tale. But my dad worked um, for the company that predated FedEx Ground. Okay. So traveled a lot. I was born in Augusta, Georgia. We actually lived in a North Augusta, South Carolina, which is just over the border. So imagine if uh, if if Lancaster was a different state and the hospital was over in Lancaster. So it was the closest hospital. So we had to hop across the border. Okay. So I'm a Georgia peach just by way of happenstance. Um, but moved back up here and uh, went to kindergarten through second grade in Manchester and Northeastern. Okay. And then moved back to South Carolina and then moved back up here and graduated high school. So oh. I've, I've, I've done some hopping between okay. the states. All right. So, uh, well, then let's kind of like start at like high school then, since you know you were you were here. Have, sure. So, have you lived here since high school? Yeah, yeah. So, um, went to school briefly for hospitality management. So, even before what people would know me in the city for um, for for photography, I was running hotels and restaurants. Um, and then uh, Allison, who you know, Allison Witherow, and I started a photography company. We did that for about eight years. Um, primarily commercial photography and weddings, but really started getting engaged with the city of York uh, and events and the goings on down there when we moved our office into the square, um, which would have been 2007 or eight. So how did you get into photography? That's a great question. Um, Who? I don't really know. I mean, I've always been a creative type in some way, but I don't have any actual talents in in like fine arts or performing arts or anything like that uh photography was good because the way that we approached it 
then was much different than uh, what other photographers were doing at the time, but now was pretty much the industry norm, which is approaching it, approaching it more from a journalistic perspective rather than being super formal and posed right. and having a list of, uh, you know, Shots. this is what you're going to capture. Yeah. So we were, we marketed ourselves then as being on the forefront of the digital revolution. Right. We were lightweight photographers. Um, and even on a commercial side at that point, that was kind of unheard of. So we developed a niche, but that also came easy to me because I've always been somebody that just likes to observe people. Mm. And I think that that was really what we excelled at there. But the fun part about that is I, I'm colorblind, so uh, I never did most of the editing portion, or at least Allison would then do the color correction for it. Yeah, yeah. If I would have to pick your skin color out, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be very pretty. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, photography business. How long did you guys do that? Um, I think we did our last wedding in 2015, 2016. Okay. I know you guys, you, d you did like the wedding photography, mm -hmm. but you kind of started to get into, I, I guess it would be like the commercial photography, yeah. but it was kind of more than that for you guys. It almost seemed like mission-based with what was going on in York at the time. Why did you guys gravitate toward that? Yeah, so we, I mean, I think naturally being, we were 20-somethings at the time and involved in what was, a, you know, certainly the city of York is a growing city now, right. but more so then the downtown had not been as established as it is today, if you go down there mm -hmm. uh, today. So we we became very engaged with Downtown Inc. at the time. J.J. Sheffer was there, um, and Sonny had just come on at Downtown Inc. Um, we were heavily involved in the work that the Community Foundation was doing. We were doing the photography for their annual report, so that connected us with, um, you know, everybody that was involved in that project. Yeah. So we identified things like Downtown Inc. that we would donate our time to in exchange for, you know, some sort of cross-promotional sure. opportunities. But what it really did was just build the network. And then we got to use our tools. You know, I think some of some of our photos from that period ended up, um, you know, in the CVB uh, uh, programs that they yeah. distribute regionally. So we really, at the time, were using our skills to amplify the attention brought to York. Uh, we were visual story storytellers. York is fortunate enough now to have several amazing visual storytellers. Yeah. At the time, uh, there were certainly lots of folks documenting what was going on, but nobody was packaging it and promoting it in any sort of meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, so we were, through through our work with Downtown Inc., we were happy to do that. Do you think as, as your business went on and York's kind of redevelopment went on that 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 got saturated, there wasn't like a need for that as much? Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that we were also a part of, um, just kind of my group of friends at the time, was the creation of I Love York City. Um, so hashtag I Love York City and the, the actual logo itself. So that started um, a couple of folks on Twitter, started to use a hashtag as a response to some negative things that were being said about the city or, you know, folks that were being criti uh, critical of the city. So we created that as a response to that. Um, but as time went on and into today, you know, I think that as York's critical mass has grown, it is not a struggle to get people down here on a first Friday. And it has then, it, it went from not being a struggle to get people on a first Friday to any other Friday, any other Saturday. And now it's Wednesdays and Tuesdays. And, you know, I, I don't think that if you're looking specifically at the downtown, I don't think that we have to fight quite as hard as we used to have to fight. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, there is enough going on and enough opportunity for somebody to find something that they're interested in 
that those discussions have become a lot easier. Hmm. So if people are going to be critical of things uh, in downtown or in the city of York as a whole, I think that there's so much overwhelming positivity to point to um, that if you would have told me 10 years ago that this would be the conversation we would be having, I probably wouldn't have believed it, but it is the path that the city had been on um, you know, for the five years before I got engaged, which is great. So if you look at um, you know, the Kodo development downtown, uh, People's Bank Park, that really kicked off this wave of development that we're talking about now. Sure. Um, so certainly, if you were a retailer looking to come into downtown right now, you're going to be hard-pressed to find an empty storefront, which right. is great. Yeah. Um, but now is the time that we, and putting on my mayor's office city hat, is when we start looking out into the neighborhoods and how we can take the great work that has been done downtown for the last 15 years. It's now time for the city to start focusing and expanding that effort into the neighborhoods. So you had already, you've mentioned like the I Love York City hashtag and that kind of movement. How impactful do you think that actually was in kind of re-messaging and repackaging York at that time? Because what, what year was that when that like came out? 2009. Okay. We did, um, we did a photo booth, <clears throat> excuse me, we did a photo booth at Go Green in the City, okay. which had been April of 2009, maybe 2010, but I think 2009. Um, you know, I think it was hugely impactful. When, when Mayor Helfrick and I first went into um, what is now the mayor's office in City Hall, there is a I Love York City poster attached to the desk that I think Mayor Bracey had hung up there. Okay. Um, but it was one of the original, the first run posters we did. And it, that was cool because it said, I Love York City. And and then beneath it, it said, because of, I think it was the people, the places, the music, uh, the restaurants, something like that. Some combination of that. We did a series of different posters. Um, and then over the years, I think we printed probably fifteen or 20,000 stickers. And you can still... The first round of stickers, like any first round of stickers that anybody does, were too cheap, and they immediately washed off and became white and ugly. But the the subsequent runs, you can still find those stickers plastered all over the yeah. county, which was the goal, is that you know too often folks get into bubbles and promote to the people that are right in front of them. But right. the goal with I Love York City was to really expand that. So if you're having a conversation with somebody in Red Line, they say, oh, Wait, you love York City? Of course I do, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. So I think it really just gave everyone at the time and even today a platform to say, you know, this is how I identify. I identify with I love York City. Yeah. Um, and JJ has done a great job over the years of carrying it on. Um, she still has shirts and I think a few shops. Um, but I, to, to your question, I think that it was impactful. I don't think that when we... When we started it as a response to somebody on Twitter, we really knew where it was headed. And I think that at various points it could have become something more or larger, but I kind of like that it always exists right beneath the surface mm. um, and that folks are aware of it. They see it. They've um, been able to identify with it in some way. It never became like the official brand. No. As other, you know, now we have those things that exist, but it was kind of this underground, but anybody could attach to it if they wanted to. Yeah, and I think it would have, part of that, if any one organization other than JJ uh, would have would have taken ownership of it, I think that some of the romance would have been lost yeah. with it, yeah. um, and it wouldn't have been as authentic as it is. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your career morphing a little bit. Yeah. So, photography business, you're no longer doing that. Correct. What was the next step for you? So in 2014, um, one of my now business partners approached me because he knew that I had had 
food service experience and marketing business experience in general approached me about an opportunity for a pretzel company that was up for sale in Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. Um, And we looked at it, didn't think it was such a great idea, but several months later after that pretzel company had sold, um, we were having beers again at what was then may have been autos. No, I think it would have been Bistro 19 still at the time. Um, just having drinks there and said, well, you know, we looked at that. We didn't like this, this, and this. We didn't think they did certain things well. Um, but is there a market for it in general? Uh, which is then when we, when we did a little bit of a market analysis locally to see if retail, if wholesale, getting our pretzels on bar, restaurant, brewery menus made sense. And we thought it made a lot of sense. So that's that was the impetus for York City Pretzel Company. Um, what's your role in that business now? I know it's kind of changed over the years. You you used to be like in there day to day in the shop. Yeah. So when I started, it was me and the baker um, pretty much every day, um, and then we you know obviously got some part time assistance. Yeah. Uh, but after we got it rolling, we realized that the strategy for York City Pretzel Company really should be on wholesale and getting it into those bars, restaurants, select grocery stores, that sort of thing. Um, Concession stands for football games. So I stepped out of that and then went into more of a overall manager role. Yeah. Um, And, you know, as president of the company, we knew sort of the path that it would develop, but didn't know how successful wholesale would be because we're going in and we're trying to compete with either huge multinational corporations that sell their pretzels to every ball stadium in the United States right. or really well-established, entrenched local pretzel companies. Um, so it took a while for us to get our name out there, but the quality really spoke to people, mm. um, especially chefs. I mean, our strategy in the beginning and today is to walk into a restaurant that either they have a pretzel on the menu already, maybe as a special, or they don't have a pretzel at all, and say, eat this, product speaks for itself, we're more expensive than our competitors, but we're also better. Yeah. And that's worked for us. Um, so I did that as <clears throat> I, I, I was the sales guy, essentially, for most of the day-to-day. And then we passed that off to somebody else. Um, and as the company grew larger, and uh, as any company, I took on more administrative duties and more administrative duties for everything that we were adding. Um when we started to transition me out of the business so that I could start step into my city role, um, my brother, who had been working for us, really hopped into the manager role, yeah. and he's done a great job. And and he um, he's very, very detail-oriented, which is something that I'm not, and that business um, has really excelled since he's took over day-to-day because of that, which has been great. Awesome. Um, what did you learn from the pretzel business? Uh, I learned that people really like pretzels, uh, which, you know, you can – you know, when you do a business plan, you can say, this is a product that people like. And uh, we've identified that 50 restaurants within 10 miles of here have pretzels. But it isn't until you actually start selling them and you see the same people come in three or four times a week. uh, People that, one of my favorite things to see is, you know, if you have a family that visits their daughter that goes to your college and they make sure that every time they're in town, they stop at the pretzel shop. That's so cool. Um, So it was the first single tangible product that I had really been involved in. You know, it is a it is something you can hand to a child or uh, your grandma and they can enjoy it. Yeah. Um, photography and um, the hospitality industry is really 
delivering good customer service and the customer service is the product. Right. And pretzel is interesting because it, you have a product that people want. There's a demand there, but they also, you know, they're holding you to the quality standards as well. So if your quality standards aren't, um, you know, this is what I expect from every pretzel that comes out, your customers are going to give you that feedback. So right. not only is the customer service still the product, which is something that has carried me throughout all of my jobs, but really having that, um, that really tangible product has been an interesting experience and continues to be because there are times, you know, if we would hire a new baker, um, the product wouldn't just be quite right. If I wasn't the first one to catch that, I would definitely be hearing from one right. of our customers. Yeah. So what's something you don't like about the pretzel business? Um, I think what people don't know about the restaurant industry or food service in general is just how thin the margins are. I mean, nobody, none, no restaurateurs, certainly in central Pennsylvania, are living the lifestyle that I think that... They're not rolling that, in it. Yeah, they're, well, they're not rolling in it. And even if they were rolling in it, the ones that may have figured out how to um, get out from underneath the business in that sense, they're still putting in crazy work hours. Right. So even if they would have had a path to financial success, they're spending most of their time in the restaurant anyway, so they don't get to enjoy that. So I think that you know the people that do it are cut from the same cloth they, um, you know, they really value the customer service. They really value the cleanliness that they can deliver, the product that they can deliver. But I think that uh, the misconception about the industry is that the the owners are kind of sitting back and enjoying all of that, and they're going to everybody else's restaurants, and that's really not the case. They're right. in there every Friday and Saturday night, yeah. certainly. Um, so it's a grueling a grueling industry with very small margins and a lot of competition. But it's a very rewarding business to be in when you're delivering a good product. I'm curious what your thoughts are, because the timeline when you opened the York City Pretzel Company there, you know, it's part of like the continued revitalization, sure. but it was one of the newer yeah. spots, especially where you are. Um, how do you think that pretzel company has impacted York in terms of being an addition to the things that were going on? Yeah, I mean, one of the th getting back to First Fridays, First Friday used to be very much contained onto Beaver Street mm -hmm. and specifically the 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 north block of Beaver Street, so Beaver between Market and Philadelphia Street. Um, so our goal with Baron von Schwein, who opened um, before us by seven, eight months, something like that, um, just next door, and then with opening the pretzel shop, was to really get people to turn the corner in a physical sense, um, whether mm. they were coming to market on a Saturday morning or the first Friday, yeah. or um, you know, folks that if you worked at the courthouse or worked in an attorney's office, there was really never any reason to come onto that block for lunch. Mm -hmm. um, so really that goal was to, the goal with opening there was identifying a good space and a good opportunity, but it continues to fill that gap um, that, that existed. So if you look at it now, if you compare that block now to five or 10 years ago, you now have Beaver Street, and Holy Hound is an amazing anchor right on the corner. But across the street, which was vacant for quite a while, um, was Isaacs and then Old Forge, who's doing a great business. You keep going that way, and you have Crystal Ball and a number of small retailers. Memory Lane Suites is amazing on that block of Beaver Street. On Market Street, you now have the Arcade, which is attracting families every weekend, every day. Um, and you now have Wellspan that's delivering health services to our residents and lab testing right to our residents right there. And now, down on the, the remainder of the unit block, you've got 
Fig and Barrel. You've got um, a great new company that's opening beside them, which I can never remember if it's public or not, so I'm not going to say it. Benjamin Bond. Yep. All right. Yeah. I guess it's public. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, I think people know that. I think people know it. There, there was a time for it was like a conversation underground, and then we we're like, hey, they're doing this thing. It's going to be great. And we we're like, hey, nobody knows that yet. So oh, I just well, zip it up. Okay. It's fine. I said the name, so if yeah, you get in trouble. Yeah, it's great. So Benjamin Bond is opening their um, House of Yoga, expanding their phenomenal operation. Um, And then, you know, you hop to the corner. You've got Ironic. You've got the New Bank. You've got Iron Horse. um, And then around the corner there, you've got Revival to Carlos. But we're really also trying to connect to Royal Square, too. So when the Yorktown opens, that's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you go the other direction, you've got Hamir's and World Grills. All these places we're talking about didn't exist six years ago for for the most part. Um, So... The pretzel company has certainly been a small part of that, but really the takeaway for the pretzel company and all of these businesses is to figure out what a sustainable business model in York looks like. Because we certainly went through a period where there there was a large number of businesses that were opening and then closing yeah. within a year or two. So I think that if we can break that cycle and encourage, from the city's perspective, making sure that... Um, not that it's an appropriate business, but that business owners are set up for success. Um, and I think that the landlords have a responsibility to do that. And certainly the residents um, and people that enjoy coming to York, they're voting with their tax or with their uh, with their cash, essentially. You know, so when you choose to come uh, to Iron Horse or Old Forge or Fig and Barrel or White Rose on a Thursday night, instead of going to Smoky Bones or Chili's, um, you know, you're encouraging economic development and prosperity in the city. So it all is full circle and we've all done it together. I do, you know, I am proud that the pretzel company has made it this far and um, has had that impact. Um, so I'm really curious because I don't think I've even heard like the connection of when you go from like day to day running the pretzel company to I'm going to go work for yeah. the mayor's office. What what was that conversation or what was that moment when that change happened? So I became I became involved in uh, Mayor Helfrich's campaign, um, I guess, in May of 2017. And really, you know, he his campaign was mostly him running it himself. He had some folks helping him out, uh, you know, certainly a treasurer managing the finances, that sort of thing. But there was nobody really crafting the larger vision for the campaign. Um, him and I had had a relationship before we actually sparred at city council over food trucks. Um, him and I disagreed. We were on opposite sides of that, but through that process, what I learned is that he is a leader and a politician that at the end of the day, you may disagree with something, but one, he's going to have that conversation with you. So he's always going to be open to talking about um, what makes us different or how we see something differently, mm-hmm. which is great. And it's great in a leader. Um, but two, at the end of the day, you can still be friends. Um, and that that was the first time it really opened my eyes to what um, I think a real servant leader should be. And it's nothing against the prior administration, but I'm somebody in general, it's my personal opinion that um, and Mayor Helfrich's actually, that eight years is probably a, a long enough time for somebody to serve as mayor in a city of our size. Um, you know, it's, it's, I would say the same thing in Lancaster or Harrisburg. I don't know if I would say the same thing about a city like Philadelphia or New York City, but I think that um, a fresh perspective is, is good in a city of our size. So that was the most attractive part about um, helping him with his campaign is one, 
I knew that he was somebody that would be willing to have tough conversations and come out the other side okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, it was just time for, in my opinion, time for something new and fresh. Um, so I used everything that we've been talking about. I mean, my marketing skills, uh, customer services, people try and put it in a box, but really everything we do in life is customer service. And the way that we talk to our neighbors is in some way it's customer service and you're using those same skills. So, um, I had been involved politically. Uh, I was, uh, a volunteer, um, for the, the first Obama campaign and then helped out in the office as well. So, from a canvassing perspective and some of what made that campaign successful, I witnessed that. Um, and that's really a lot of what we modeled um, Mayor Helfrich's campaign off, was really getting on the ground, knocking on every single da- door, talking to every every person that we could in the city. And that was his strength. Um, he's been doing that since the first time he ran for council. Um, but then also packaging up a, a, a marketing strategy that really got into as many people's hands as possible um, to say this is who he is, this is what he believes in, um, and he's here to listen. And that was that was the biggest thing that we did was promise that we're going to be here to listen going forward. Fast forward to actually winning the thing. Um, in the transition period, I was still assisting him. You know, I would set up meetings. Um, I would sit in on a lot of meetings. I would have meetings myself just with community leaders, residents, organizations, nonprofits, companies, etc. Just to talk about what his vision was. And at a certain point, him and I both realized that it would almost be a disservice to him and to the community if I didn't transition in there with him, um, really just to carry on the work that we had been doing. So the chief of staff position didn't exist at the time, and at least for the last 20 years hasn't existed in the city. So we brought that back. And really the role that we crafted for chief of staff was that I would handle external communication. So um, most of the social media, which I've, I've since passed on, um, I've since found folks to help with, um, but also um, you know, acting as a PIO. So communications from police department, city press releases, that sort of thing. Um, I, had had, I had gained enough experience doing that that it made sense. Um, but then also internally, as chief of staff, the important thing is really you're the person that's executing the vision of the mayor. So, um, you know, through his conversations with other directors, I'm the guy that makes sure we find a way to make that happen and then does the follow up on it. And it's the same if if he has meetings with, you know, a large nonprofit, United Way, Community Foundation, really just bringing all the partners together to work on a project. Why career-wise for you did this seem like a good fit? Uh, you know, aside from Mayor Helfrich and identifying sure. with, yeah. like, that mission, for you, like, this – I'm, just, like, just very curious. Do you have, like, this this personal mission that has tied into, like, all the things that you've done? And, and why was this the next piece of that puzzle? What – how does that fit into to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly – since the Susquehanna photographic, the photography business through the pretzel company and now to this, what you can weave is that I've tried to shine a light on the good work and the good initiatives that the city, um, not the city as the city of York as an entity, but yeah, as a government, but the city, the people that come to the city, live in the city, um, are invested in the city, the the work that they're doing. um, I think that by and large, everybody's in the trenches and it's been difficult to, for those folks to have a voice for quite a while. Um, 
So maybe in the early part, I was trying to frame them, actually frame them in photos mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to put yeah. what they're doing in the spotlight. But now um, it has made a lot of sense for me because, like I said, you know, I live here with my wife, my dog, the kids. Um, we're invested in York and we're here to stay. So whatever I can do, whatever fits, however somebody needs me, um, I guess it is a calling, but it's not a specific calling to one job. It's a, it's a specific calling to York itself. To I enjoy it. I enjoy the work that people put into it. I like working beside them. It's hard sometimes, um, but it's, it's fun and it's a great place. It's a great place to be, to live, to visit. So anything that I can do to make it a better place and to, um, I think, cast a light on the work that happens here, uh, I'm willing to do. What are the hard things? Uh, I mean, it's difficult, not even speaking to the government portion. So prior to January 2nd, 2018, um, you know, if you operate a business in the city or live in the city or choose to spend time in the city, I think that everybody hears negative things right. um, Oh, sorry, about the city. Um, at a certain point, you learn not even to ignore them, but they're just not relevant to you because you're, you know, you're leading your life um, and you've chosen a circle of friends and associates and a community and a neighborhood to be a part of. So from that from that regard, I think a lot of that used to be very hard for me. Um, you know, I would choose to spend my time and I would have somebody say, why are you spending your time in the city? Nothing good happens there. There's not good people there. There's violence there. There's poverty there. Um, but I always saw it as being something different. So that was hard. I think what is hard now um, in my current role is, and, and my coworkers and I talk about this a lot, is that um, there's always work to be done and there's never enough hands to do it. But that's why we have to have such an engaged resident base and an engaged business community and, and servant leaders because you really, the days of a government being able to fund um, you know, all the programs that a government would have been known for 30 or 40 years ago is right. gone. We don't have federal dollars. The, the budget of a municipal government is really strapped just to provide essential services, plowing, um, electrical work, making sure that folks are safe, that fires are put out. It is a struggle year after year to balance that budget. And I had been privy to some of that through attending council meetings in the past, but being there firsthand, you really see that it comes down to the pennies sometimes. So um, that is a struggle and communicating that can be a struggle because obviously, um, you know, not that there are needs that aren't being met, but we have to be creative sometimes with how uh, we can assist people. And a lot of that involves bringing in others to help us. Um, so that can be a struggle. And then I think, you know, you still, though the population has decreased that is quick to be critical of the city and um, folks that choose to spend their time there. I feel like they're always throwing rocks at us, though that has gotten a lot easier for everybody over the years. I think that we still have to be aware that those conversations are happening um, and looking towards the future to see what we can do to chip away at more of that. To, to, because every time you or I have a conversation with somebody and we make it seem totally normal because it is totally normal because it's a part of our daily lives to spend our time in the city of York, I think that we're uh, converting people sure. um, to, to buy into that. And really, 
once they get down there and they experience all that the city has to offer, not just downtown, but, um, you know, throughout the throughout the entire 4.3 square miles, I think that people really start um, understanding what we've all been working so hard for. But you really got to get them there yeah. to experience it themselves. Um, I don't know if, if you've had um, a moment. I know I had a moment um, shortly after Joey, who's now three, was born. We were walking uh in Royal Square and collusion had just opened and, you know, there was a lot going on in this neighborhood that was vacant, you know, had the Allison's reputation and all that. It was kind of a like, shit, this has really come like a really long way. Rebecca just swore. I did. Well, it's my podcast. I'm allowed to do what I want. Um, But um, I'm just kind of curious. So we've kind of had those moments, I think, in York where even though there were, you know, there was a lot of doubt and there's still people maybe whose minds will never change. Yep. There, there are those of us who have seen that very intimate transformation, but what's, what's next? Because I know the revitalization revitalization is still going on. Yep. There's still a lot of, of things happening. And obviously you kind of have like a different perspective on this now within mm-hmm. the role that you're in, but I'm curious, like personally, what do you really want to see for York is like the next thing? Yeah. I mean, it's real easy for me because we we have spent not not me but we as a as a greater York population have spent the last fifteen years really focused on the downtown and we've built up a, a downtown that can be competitive against anyone else's um, but that's a very small number of blocks in the greater population right. of the city so one thing that we have to be aware of and focused on is striking that balance moving forward we need to make sure that we are building wealth in our neighborhoods. So what the next step for York is, is to start tackling um, major employers to come back to the city. Mm. Um, Now, York County as a whole um, has become very uh, warehouse and distribution based, Mm -hmm. um, which is fine. It employs a lot of people. Structurally, a lot of that doesn't make a lot of sense for the city itself, just geographically. But what makes sense is uh, supplementary services, supplemental services to businesses like that. So as we look towards what is 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 going to be known as the fourth industrial revolution, we start talking about robotics and automation. Um, we've got a fiber line coming in. There's a lot of potential for progressive employment for the existing residents of the city of York. Um, so from that angle building wealth, providing jobs to residents that are here, and creating neighborhoods that foster collaboration and community to say that, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at a neighborhood in York, it's not a poor neighborhood and a rich neighborhood, it's York. Right. And that's, that's the point that we have to um, shift people's attention. Because, you know, you can develop an you can develop a house in an area that may have been blighted or vacant, um, and flip it into a single family home and making that a single family home owner occupied is going to make the entire neighborhood better. Mm-hmm. So looking at small pieces like that, um, we have a lot of absentee landlords. We have a lot of great landlords. And I think that we really, everything we do, we need to try and get out of the extremes. And we certainly have areas in York that are of extreme poverty right. and then we have extreme wealth. So Spreading that throughout the city of York, finding a balance, finding equity and building wealth really, I think, is the next step. And I think that folks that are engaged in moving here um, into a new apartment downtown 
they understand that because they want the city as a whole to succeed because it makes it a better climate for us. It makes it a safer climate for us and it makes it a better and safer climate for people that have lived here for 50 or 60 years. Mm -hmm. And that's the York that I think that we can all unite behind. So uh, what's next for me is to really focus on the neighborhoods and the community development and to work with folks that are interested in spreading that wealth, bringing employment back. Um, I think that that's what, what we'll see next. Um, I know one of the criticisms of some of the redevelopment that's gone on over the past few years, and you, and you can look at it and see the people downtown on first Fridays and, and see how great that was, but there, there's often been the comments of gentrification and in a negative light and, and other things. Looking back, do you think it should have been done differently or it could have been done differently? Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly messaging on everything can, we can always look in the past and say, oh, that could have been done better. But one thing that, that we need to keep in mind when the conversation comes up is that to this point, the larger redevelopment projects, specifically downtown, so if you look at like Revy Flats and um, the ColorWorks building, you're taking something like ColorWorks that was an abandoned paint factory and abandoned for 20 years, I think, and then converting it into market rate apartments. Now, um, everyone has a different definition of what gentrification is, right. um, but for us, that's bringing something back onto the tax roll. That's that's bringing residents downtown that then support businesses. Um, and in many cases, you know, their kids are going to schools, whether it's a charter school or city schools, they're still invested in the city of York. So I think rather than looking back, what we need to do is make sure that as we look towards the future, that we're being thoughtful um, with what we're doing in our neighborhoods and respectful to folks that have invested in York for 40 or 50 years, whether it's their property or they've just lived here that long. So, you know, I think that we need to be aware of the criticisms and certainly talk it through. Um, but the most important thing is having a collective collaborative strategy on how we do that. Um, I think that it's, it creates difficult conversations, which can be good, but you know, something eventually has to turn the city around. And I think that that something is going to be a combination of building wealth of existing residents, new development where it makes sense, but making sure that we're not displacing uh, folks in the process. Right. Yeah. Um, you've kind of, whether you've, you've known it or not, it's been unintentional perhaps, you know, in creating kind of, or being part of creating the I Love York City hashtag and, and what you do now. Uh, messaging of York yeah. has kind of like followed you through what you do. How do you consider, you know, looking ahead that you'll continue to message York or what is like the next round of messaging? Who do you, who do you target for that? Who do you talk to and, and what does that look like? Yeah. I, the, over the last year, certainly the biggest thing has been connecting with pockets of the community that haven't been involved in some of that development. Um, and a, for some of them, it's been acknowledging that they had a chance or they were just ignorant to it. They didn't know that it was going on. So they, they weren't able to be engaged and be active in it. Um, if you look at an organization like Latinos Unidos, they've done a great job of, of uh, bringing attention to the, uh, the Hispanic population in the city of York, giving them a collective voice. So I think as the city, we have to look for more opportunities um, to, to collaborate, whether it's a nonprofit or just a neighborhood association or organization, to help them find their own voice moving forward. Um, the city, you know, there's a lot of, you have Downtown Inc. who is marketing the Downtown York brand. You have um, the county who 
will be more strongly messaging York as a whole. So I think sometimes it's difficult to identify the city because the city is not just downtown. And then the city certainly is part of the county, but the county can be very different. So I think that 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 is something that we are aware of. um, And it hasn't been thought a lot of in the past because there's so much work to be done um, in the city. But there needs to be some sort of, and I don't think it's a marketing effort in a traditional sense, but there has to be some way to tell the stories of the corner stores that have been there for 30 years. Um, you, you know, the mechanic out on East Prospect Street that mm-hmm. it's second or third generation. So I think that we have to start engaging um, different areas of our community and telling those powerful stories because what happens is is that the way this all ties together is if you you look purely at one number and say there's a lot of shootings on the 600 block of West West uh, Princess Street. Great. But that doesn't tell the, tell the story of the 600 block of West Princess Street, right. yeah. which if you go out there any day, it's people leading their lives. Yeah. Good people. Um, and that's, and that's, that's the messaging that we need to start telling because if you look at, if you start to look at uh, crime statistics, we're talking about less than half of 1% of the population of York that is involved in violent crime. Mm-hmm. So 43,000 people, less than half of 1%. So when somebody on the internet wants to say, I wouldn't go to the 600 block of West Princess Street at night, what they don't realize is that 99% of the people on the 600 block of West Princess Street are great people, great families, great kids, great grandmas living their lives. Um, So that's the story that I would like to be a part of telling is that, you know, we can't paint York, and that's what becomes challenging. You can't paint York with a broad stroke because York is um, especially considered or compared to the county that we are surrounded by. York is diverse and multicultural and socioeconomically diverse and beautiful. And you have to tie it all together and be able to say that um, to have one voice of York, you have to have everybody at the table. That was a long-winded answer. To I that, liked but, it though. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, this episode will not publish unless we talk about the fact that you have tater tots. Yeah, I heard that was a condition. Um, yes. So not my condition. Mm-hmm. Somebody else's condition. Um, so um, how did you get to be named after the tater tots at Jr's in Central Market? So it's actually not. I don't even think it's the only dish that I'm responsible for in the city of York. I think there was a. There's a sandwich shop that had a Philip Given sandwich for a little bit. Um, I'm missing one. Megan always likes to remind me of them. I don't know what it is. But so I had gone on a trip to Philadelphia, I think. Okay. And there was a little hipster bar at the forefront of Philadelphia hipster culture. And they just had tots. They had so many tots. Um and so when I came back, I think I had looked and nobody had tots and it just seemed like such a cool thing. So I pitched it to Ron at JR's Fries. I said, listen, makes a lot of sense in your product line. Uh, they have certainly a number of fried items, but they didn't have any fried tots. And then to take it a step further, they weren't topping, like they weren't selling loaded fries. So they had pulled pork and they had chili and they had cheeses, et cetera, et cetera. Put it all together. Put it all together. So they weren't doing that. So I pitched him the idea of the tots, and uh, when he released them, he didn't even run them as a special. He just did it. They're on the menu. They're on the menu. 
and then my name was on. So my you name didn't was actually to that. like choose that. I did didn't choose the tots. I did not choose that recipe. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I think that I think the Philip given tots is uh, chili. Cheese. No, no, it's a. Is it hamburger barbecue? Hamburger barbecue. Hamburger barbecue. So you don't even know. It's hamburger. Bar- well, <laughs> it's hamburger barbecue, cheese, onions. Perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. I would have gone with pulled pork for mine. So oh, when I get okay. them, I get the. So pulled you pork don't pork. actually order the Philip Given Tots. I don't. No. And it, it's funny because as I, uh, it, as I find either a new circle of friends to extend uh, into my existing circle yeah. or new coworkers, yeah, like. Five months will go by and be like, wait, you have, t- I just was at JR's and you have tater tots on yeah. them. Like, yeah. It's been there since 2010. Do you get royalties? I think. I don't. Uh, well, I don't and just royalties. to clarify, they're not a sponsor of this episode. Okay. <laughs> but right. they are delicious and everybody should go uh, eat. They're great guys. Tots. They're great guys. They're such nice great. people. And an example of just phenomenal customer service, uh, yeah. a business built on customer service. And they have a, they have a line, um, pretty much all the time that they're open. But that, you know, that is the kind of business that York fosters and encourages, people that are just really, really talented. And I, there was a point in my life, and I don't say this much anymore, but uh, especially in my new role, but bad businesses deserve to go out of business. And I think that it's a it's an alarming thing for people to hear. It's but strong. It's a strong, it's yeah. strong, and that's why I don't say it as much as I used to. But there is some truth to that, that if you're, if you're not delivering a good product, if you're not delivering a high level of customer service, if you're not paying attention to what's in the market um, and w- what you might be competing with, then you probably aren't going to last very long. Sure. Um, and I don't – it's not the responsibility of the consumer to continue to support businesses that keep letting them down. So, yeah. And that, that doesn't just apply to the city. That applies anywhere. Yeah. So. Fair enough. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. For more information on Our York Media and our Good News Initiative, you can visit ouryorkmedia.com. We appreciate your attention and give bonus points for those who subscribe.